This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. And I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org slash generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson. Today I have a very special treat. I had the chance to sit down with Pep Laya. Now he is a former champion of optimization and experimentation turned business builder. So he first started CXL Agency, now Spiro, that did conversion rate optimization work with some of the biggest and best brands in the world on how to optimize their marketing and messaging. And then he, through that, created CXL Institute, which now trains the top kind of 1% of marketers on all of these elements of conversion rate optimization and marketing and messaging and conversion funnels and so on. And most recently launched uh, an audience engagement tool called Winter. It's mostly for B2B marketers. And in this podcast, he talks about that journey of didn't set out to create a B2B marketer platform and what that experience was like. So he shares about his personal journey, but throughout that we talk about optimization and testing, how to prioritize experiments, some of his favorite experiments. We talk about online learning and what's ahead for what he believes uh, in the online learning space. And then some messaging, some key things around qualitative research and how to better understand what customers are actually looking for, as well as some rapid fire questions at the end. So selfishly, I loved it. I personally enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from Pep over the years and we follow a lot of what CXL does, both in terms of their work as well as their training. And I'm a big fan, so it was a pleasure to sit down. I think you'll find it very interesting and a lot of nuggets along the way. So thanks and enjoy. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Oh, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Pep. Thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to talk about a bunch of the different things that you're up to and companies and entrepreneurship. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what set you down this, this path. And I quote, a former champion of optimization and experimentation turned business builder. What, what led to that shift? Was there like a spark point in your life? Was this just kind of always what you wanted to do and the time was right? Kind of what, what led you to make that jump, that change? I got tired of consulting. <laughs> That's a good answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started CXL in 2011. Um, and, you know, as a conversion of optimization consultancy. And before that, I had already been a marketing consultant uh, probably since 2007. So I think being a consultant has an expiration date because, I mean, some people love it. 
but a lot of people burn out because how many times can you explain the same stuff? <laughs> like I just could not explain what is what is a p value for the millionth time or argue over stopping rules for A-B tests and things like that. So I got real burned out or <laughs> burned out is the wrong word. Just did a new challenge. I felt my personal growth had stalled and I wasn't having as much fun anymore. And so then that led me to build the e-learning business. And then uh, four years later, uh, a SaaS business. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause I think obviously we're in the consulting business and uh, do some of the same things that, you know, CXL or Spiro kind of does with clients. Mm -hmm. And there is that challenge of, you know, balancing innovation and optimization and clients typically really want the optimization side of like, give us all the green arrows all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard sometimes to get the innovation, but that's really what pushes a lot of people is I want to try new cool things, discover new breakthroughs. And if you can't, you know, always do that or feel hamstrung or like I'm testing the same thing over and over again, I could see how that could, uh, that could wear you down. So at the risk of asking you to go over p-values, which I won't, one of the talks you did at uh, Neo Summit in the past was mm -hmm. making sure you're testing the right stuff. And I do, I do want to touch on that because I think that's massively, massively important. So what do you mean by that? How do you test the right stuff? Well, you, you, when you run a test, you want to, you know, hopefully you're expecting an outcome. You want to move the needle, get more signups, registrations, whatever it is. And if your idea is based on, if your test hypothesis is just based on a random idea, oh, let's everybody huddle in and let's, let's brainstorm, the odds that you're, you're going to move the needle are very low. Unless the website is horrible, of course, then it's easy to find how you can improve it. But if it's already decently optimized, it's already good enough, then a random idea won't, won't take you anywhere. Because you need to first understand what is the problem with the website. Because solving a problem is what makes you more money. You, 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 you know, your test hypothesis should be uh, an idea for a solution to an identified problem. And mm -hmm. if it's just something you saw on Twitter or in a blog post, what are the odds that your, your audience is struggling with the same problem? Mm -hmm. So that's part of the, the research component of hypothesis generation, right? Of exactly right, exactly right. You wanna understand what is, the, what is the reason more people are not signing up or taking action or what would get them to sign up. So if we understand that our offer is weak, they see, we say, hey, sign up and donate and other things, but they're, they, they don't feel compelled to. It feels like meh. Then we understand yeah. we have a motivation problem. Right. Or uh, you might be tinkering with the form. Oh, let's make the button bigger and less form fields. Actually, it's not a friction issue. It's a motivation issue. So mm. understanding which, which lever you need to work on is, is, is um, I, I would say, 80% of the results. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. What we find in the nonprofit space, often it's a volume problem, you know, like tinkering with a form and the form could be an issue, but the, the reality is you just don't have enough people that reach that page for it to be, um, you know, ROI positive, mm. right? Also like could be your, a problem. Yes, exactly. Your, so. rates, your rates are okay. It's just not enough people are showing up. Uh, actually, one of the most useful tools that, that I've uh, gotten from, from your site, and there's been many, it's like the prioritization tool. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's too complicated. So I simplified it and we use more just like impact and difficulty, just like a two score. 
But even just having some frame of re- reference of saying, what's the impact of this test and how hard is it to, to just say, what test should we do? Instead of, oh, I just thought of this on Twitter, let's run this test. You need some framework to process tests, no? Well, I created the PXL framework to solve some of those issues. Because like, if you look at the ice or pie or one of those where they have you just score impact, how, would you, how do you know? Right. It's impossible for you. Like, if I would know, I wouldn't need to test, would I? I can just implement this shit. <laughs> so, so hence the level of complexity, which is asking you binary yes or no questions. Right. It's a critical piece there. The same for the dev speed, because like, I mean, I guess you could eyeball it like, oh yeah, that's, that should be easy. But like, what what is easy? Like, is it three days easy or two hours easy, you know? Right. It's also a progression, right? So like uh, some people that are going from not really testing to all the way to running those types of um, prioritization and testing, what I found at least they end up not testing at all. So it's trying to find a way of how do you do a better test than no test and progress and maybe you would argue mm. that just either well, do yeah. it right or don't do it at all. I don't know. If you have too many, I mean, if you don't test enough, you, you don't need a prioritization matrix <laughs> right. at all. It's just that's like, a good point. shall we test? But if you have like, oh, we have 20 hypotheses here, but How we can you, only test right. one at a time. Which one do we test first? Yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of tests, what's, uh, what's one of the favorite tests or experiments that you've ever ran or, or seen? For profit, nonprofit, anything? Uh, the most lucrative one that comes to mind is changing forms into wizards, multi-step wizards. So instead of asking, you know, 10 questions in a row in a form field, you ask one or two questions at a time and just, you know, click next and there's another. So there's a progression. So it's kind of like a wizard. And we did this for, um, a major payroll company in the United States, the market leader, uh, maybe even. <laughs> and so basically added uh, like $100 million to, to a company's uh, you know, revenue <laughs> by just changing that one thing. Wow. So it just gets so many forms are scary or can be scary, but also you need to qualify leads in some cases, or, you know, there's a, there is a business need to, to ask a lot of questions. Uh, and so then, yeah, that just lowers friction. Hmm. Interesting. It's cool. So if, if someone's listening is like this testing world is, is so new to me, what, what's a piece of advice you often share to like beginners? It's, it's what we talked, uh, talked about at the start. Where, what gives you results? 80% of it is research, understanding, mm-hmm. the, understanding the customer, understanding where, where are the problems in your website, where is the traffic dropping off, and also the qualitative side. And in, in my opinion, qualitative side is even more important, mm-hmm. is understanding the people. You know, right. like what, what, what are they, how are they perceiving what you're, you know, communicating or pitching there, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I would focus most of my time doing, doing research. Uh, you know, I've obviously created a research Excel framework, which is just easy, you know, follow this sequence and you, you have you know, a list of problems that you can now tackle. But any, any research is better than none. You know, you can do a user test with five people, survey your people, phone interviews, um, yeah, message testing. I mean, lots of tools. There's no excuse 
really to to doing research because the old arguments that it it's too expensive or takes too too long right. those have been solved for the most part right. great and what if someone's like okay yeah pep uh, i I've, I've taken your stuff i've heard you before i've been testing what what's more like an expert piece of advice that you find kind of expert testers have a blind spot with I don't think I have enough information to answer this question. Okay. Fair enough. I, I, when you were talking about qualitative research, I, I wondered if it would actually end up being kind of the, the same answer. Like the more that you test and you become this like testing wizard, you maybe rely a little bit less on the, the research, even though that should be part of your process or not. I don't know if that actually happens with expert no, testers. No, but- I mean, our, our own, you know, like we at Spira, we help very advanced companies um, um, you know, improve their testing optimization program. So usually we work with companies who raise mm-hmm. Series C, are looking to scale up. Uh, you know, lots of millions. Uh, traffic is not a problem. They're looking to ramp up the testing program, and so it really is. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is um, operation side improvements mm. that are needed. But if you want sustainable results, sustainable results. Then obviously it's, it's still it still comes down to to do the research bit. Of course, obviously then if you if you're doing you know higher volumes, you can do uh, lesser changes. Whereas if you have you know a lower traffic website, you need to you know go for bigger bigger changes to to get hopefully bigger uplifts. Uh, and and new and uh, new and interest new interesting sources of um, data. You know, because everybody's relying on the on the same old, and so if you're kind mm-hmm. of plateauing, uh, you might be you might tap into new sources of data, hmm. give you the, the insight that you haven't had before. Yeah, I like that. We just completed a, a global research study, making donations and tracking the experience in nine different countries, and part of it was to do that of saying we we kind of know the U.S. market and what's common, but maybe there's things in the Netherlands and Germany and the U.K. that we haven't really seen or they're taking different strategies to try to break out of just the, the same old stuff that we, we yeah. know and do. Um, cool. So that, that's more of the consulting Spiro side. And then you've referenced kind of the online learning and, and the Institute that again, we, we take and copy and borrow and steal a bunch of your stuff. Um, so you're tired with consulting. So then you decided to do online training. What, uh, what have you learned through that process in terms of creating great learning opportunities for people? I've learned a lot. Mm. What I've, uh, key thing that I've learned, and this obviously our focus is on marketing training. So it's B2B. It's not like how to play the guitar. So that stuff I don't know anything about. <laughs> when it comes to B2B stuff, you know, we're training people, we're training, giving you skills that enable you to do a better job. However, most people do not complete the courses they, uh, they start. Uh, and this is not just our problem at CXL. This is a global problem. If you if you Google this stuff, you see that like the average course completion rate is around like twelve percent. And you know you might argue that maybe it's not the right metric to use, but it, it's it's still 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 an insightful metric. And so why is that? And uh, and one of the things we've learned is that learning is usually considered as as something as as extra. You know, you do it on your own time because you're when right. you have your weekly one-on-one with your supervisor, your manager, she will ask you, hey, did you do X, Y, Z? 
she doesn't ask you, did you do your learning? Did you finish your course? How many pages <laughs> did you read? I mean, I'm right. sure there are companies like that, but that's that's rare. It's rare. This, this is something that we at CXL champion internally where we have mandatory learning hours for the employees. Mm. So two hours mm. a week, you need to uh, dedicate into uh, professional development. And obviously yeah, you can do awesome. more on your own time, but we, 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 you have to. Uh, learn for two hours a week so everybody's reporting always like mm. what are you learning now which book are you reading uh, which course are you taking that's great that's uh that's something that we started to implement here but that's even taking it to the to the next degree so we should do that and uh our, our course completion rate is actually just just a, a little bit above that which is good but it's shocking how how few people actually complete so one idea that we had is um if you complete the course we'll donate back to your cause Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, like some extra, that, extra incentive that's, that's or something. Like, but. Um, it's not working on the intrinsic motivation. Obviously, like definitely not. <laughs> and what what are the root causes? So the root cause is when we've done a lot of thinking and research uh, uh, into this issue. So, uh, like one is what I described. Your manager expects you to do stuff, not to learn stuff. So that's one. Mm -hmm. So that's signaling. Like what's important, and. Most people do, don't put learning on their calendar. Like, when do you mm -hmm. learn? So, and if what doesn't get scheduled doesn't get done because your empty space on the calendar gets filled up. Uh, and if you have a spouse and kids, they'll take up the time and, and that's it. <laughs> you know, if you're 21 and single, right. congrats, you can learn. Everybody else, hmm. <laughs> difficult. Not so much. <laughs> and, and also, like, with most courses are one size fits all. Let's say it's a course mm -hmm. on Google Analytics. So I want to learn how to set up event tracking through Google Tag Manager so my events would fire into GA. But then I have to go through this nine hour of Google Analytics training. I mean, I just want that one thing. Right. So, and, and also, you know, you and me, we're, we're, we've seen stuff. You know, it's like we're not noobs anymore. However, each course assumes you're an idiot, kind of. <laughs> like you're a newbie. You know, so, so mm. you start taking this course and you're like, oh, I already know all this stuff. And then it's very hard to find the parts that are new to you. There might right. be something that you don't know, but uh, where is it? Is it listen five minute 57? And it, like, if it's video content, it's extremely hard to skim. Impossible. Even. Text content way better. You can like skip over the yeah. stuff and, and, and then uh, only focus on what's new. So that's suboptimal about just hmm. online learning in, in general. And also when we surveyed our people, what triggered you to start an online course? Like what brought you to it? We learned that very few people are strategic about their career. Like, hey, yeah, and so in three years, I'm going to be the CMO and I'm lacking these skills. And so now I'm learning these skills so I'd be ready. Very few people are like that. Hmm. Most people are like, oh, I need to build a high converting landing page today. I'm not sure how to go about it. So let me take a course. And the hmm. course is seven hours and I'll abandon. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So that's part of, um, so knowing that information, what do you do with that in terms of the learning opportunities at, at CXL? Yeah, well, we are radically changing what CXL is. So it's, it's a vision that we're building towards. So it's going to take us some time. Uh, the public launch of our new product is going to be sometime second half of 2021. Uh, it's called CXL Playbooks. So it's a, it's a completely different take on what 
e-learning should be like. So there are no courses, no video, uh, no certificates, no nothing. Hmm. So we have essentially identified, made a list of every single task that a marketing person does every single day and, and CRO people and analytics people and so on and so forth. So there's a list of like thousands and thousands of tasks. 80% of things you do at work and what I do at work is what everybody else does at work. <laughs> you know, like very few tasks are rare or unique. You know, we all work on the same stuff. Oh, we do SEO keyword research and we calculate sample sizes and, and things like that. So knowing that people don't have time to learn, but they want to. And knowing that what triggers people to take courses is that they have a task at hand that needs solving. This is what we're going to solve with Playbook. So mm. each task that you need to accomplish, we have a 10-step playbook. And the steps in the playbook, and it's all text-based, so it's easy to scan. Uh, some screenshots and images are included. But let's say step two in a whatever SEO playbook is do keyword research on like what, what people are searching for. Now, if I'm a seasoned pro, I know exactly. Okay, I know how to do keyword research. Say no more. I can go to step three. If I don't know how to do keyword research, I can click on step two and it's another 10-step playbook on how to do keyword research. Mm. And if uh, you know, there's another step, step seven there that I don't know how to do, oh, maybe it's something like, look something up in Google Search Console. Oh, how do I do that? You can click <laughs> on it. It's another playbook on how to do that in Google Search Console. So it's like mm. this intricate web. It's a kind of like Wikipedia, but everything is formatted into... 10 steps, just follow these 10 steps and you get hmm. the desired results. So that's what we're working on. And cool. um, we're keeping the courses, obviously, because there is a use case. For, that's going to be my courses. next question. What do you do with the courses? So the courses, the use case for courses is that I don't know anything about this stuff. I need to know a lot. So going from zero to hero, going from, yeah. uh, it's, it's mainly suitable for people who are uh, new to an, you know, a thing. Oh, I need. I want to know what is account-based marketing and what do I do? What is it? Then how how to use it? Okay, there's a mm -hmm. course on account-based marketing. Or if I've never used, you know, Google Analytics or Tag Manager, here's a course. So that's yeah. that's the perfect use case. But if I want to get something specific done, and especially you know, learning and doing go hand in hand, and you learn better by doing. So our approach with playbooks is. You know, learn for five minutes, implement in the next five minutes. So like yeah. right away, you put it in practice as opposed to, you know, watching nine hours of GA course, <laughs> then, then logging it. Yeah. And then needing to go back to the course because you forgot exactly. you know, hour yeah, two, yeah, what yeah. you needed to do. So yeah. there is a use case for cool. the courses, but yeah, uh, we're, we're banking our future on this new approach. Yeah. Well, um, I'll follow and, and see if it works and then we'll follow suit. Uh, Cause I really like, again, there's different types of learners. And the other thing for us on the certification or course side is, you know, really like um, saying to the market as well. So like digital fundraising in the nonprofit space, isn't an overly professionalized thing. Mm. Fundraising itself isn't overly professionalized. And so what we're trying to do is signify, how do you differentiate people who kind of know digital fundraising and have done this and proven it versus people who say they've done digital fundraising, but they actually just kind of have it, you know? Yeah. Um, there's an element of, of kind of professionalizing a space too, but I love the, the playbook concept. Although it sounds like you could just get lost in this labyrinth of, of playbooks. So maybe- uh, No, only maybe if we'll you see. don't know what you're looking for. Well, that's what I mean. I was talking about me. <laughs> I oh, could okay. get lost in the labyrinth. 
This podcast and episode is proudly sponsored by Virtuous, and they would like you to know about an upcoming event on April 14th and 15th, 2021. They are hosting the Responsive Nonprofit Summit. Now, this is a free two-day virtual learning experience for forward-thinking nonprofit fundraisers and leaders like yourself, hosted by Virtuous. You'll hear from the latest in fundraising and marketing to in-the-trenches case studies, get different ideas and connections you need to grow, not just in 2021 and beyond. Uh, It's an event I've attended in the past. They get some great speakers and do a great job uh, of having a really good user experience, attendee experience, so I suggest you check it out. If you would like to check it out or register today, you can save your free seat by going to virtuous.org slash generosity virtuous.org slash generosity. Hope to see you there. Well, you talked a lot about, um, you know, B2B and that's really what the, the tool winter is, is about. It's, it's not a copywriting tool. It's a messaging uh, audience engagement tool. Can you tell us more about what winter actually is and kind of how it came to be? Cause I think it's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. So there's a multifaceted, uh, journey here. Um, uh, you know, coming from an experimentation optimization platform uh, background. So my idea of building a new company from scratch is I'm using code completely uh, an optimized methodology. You know, of, of course, Lean Startup is kind of the same idea. Uh, so the problem that we identified at CXL, you know, we have 60 plus online courses, uh, lots of landing pages, webinar landing pages, email capture landing pages, all copy heavy. Mostly copy heavy. Mm-hmm. So we learned very quickly that in order to in- increase the conversion rate on those pages, we need to increase, we need to improve the copy because it's copy heavy. Copy is the main lever to increasing uh, conversions. But what's wrong with the copy? You log into Google Analytics, doesn't tell you anything. You can look at mm-hmm. heat maps all day long, it doesn't tell you anything about what's right. wrong with the copy. And so I started to look for a tool that would help me understand. Uh, how my target audience, people I am selling to, when they read my copy, what questions remain unanswered or what's confusing? What about my pitch is resonating? And they say, oh, yes, tell me more about that. And what's like, I don't care about that. So it didn't exist. So I was like, oh, look at that. Hmm. There's an opportunity here. And so I went for it and built a tool to solve this very problem. And so in the beginning, I thought I am in the business of copywriting. So helping people write better copy, copywriters are going to be all over it. It's the bee's knees. Right. Uh, the future never pans out the way you uh, imagine it. Um, and <laughs> so big, really big on data. Obviously, uh, when you're getting started, you don't have large data sets. You have small data sets. So mm-hmm. mainly working with qualitative data. Uh, I do all the live chats. I, uh, I call you know, every user. I do every demo. So very, you know, customer-centric, a lot of capturing data. And, 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 you know, sales especially is super enlightening. And I learned that companies don't care about copy. Hmm. Uh, copy is, is, there's a perception that uh, since anybody can write words, anybody can <laughs> write words. So, hey, let, right. let the new intern, like John, the new guy, he started last week, let him write the copy. You know, like we, the senior leadership, we have an important strategy work to do here. <laughs> so the, 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 the senior leadership thinks hard about positioning, strategy, uh, the strategic narrative, and key messaging. Like, we are this, 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 you know. And then 
you give it to the intern or the, the or you know shy shy bubble from upwork for five bucks and they will write it and then obviously the outcome is terrible and so learning this that was one data point that we learned that oh mm. maybe our tool tool was called copy testing i was like oh, okay they don't care about copy yet our tool <laughs> is copy testing and then we learned about that the biggest um, uh, the biggest interest we got was from b2b companies agencies and SaaS mm. companies selling to you know people with particular titles from the particular industries. And we had consumer panels because we were not a panel company. We were through APIs. We were tapping into panel companies and bringing panel there from there. Hmm. And then it was okay. SaaS companies want to give us money. Let's, let's look into this B2B panels. Like which, which panel can we tap into through an API? And we discovered that this is going to completely unsolved problem. There are no hmm. panel companies. I mean, there are panel companies that claim that they can deliver B2B panels, but we quickly validated that they're lying. Hmm. So as an example, we had a client, AI for organic traffic. It's like, it's what the company does. And supposed VP marketings were recruited through a panel company. They were like, yeah, what, is, what does organic food have to do with traffic on the streets? We don't get it. <laughs> so like the concept of organic traffic, they just had no idea. It's like, yeah, I have a feeling these people are not marketers. <laughs> and so there was another light bulb. Okay, we need mm. to build their own panel. This is an unsolved problem. And, and finally, uh, we learned that we can, our product vision started to evolve. So it's not about just testing copy and messaging. We can do all kinds of stuff. If we have a panel of people, Right. You know, we have uh, SaaS CMOs and e-commerce uh, VP sales and you know, CFOs and CTOs and developers and designers and whoever. Hmm. Uh, we can do anything with it. So imagine you, you are selling to development directors and NGOs, for instance, and you would love mm -hmm. to know what they think about your agency's pitch. So, and, and before you write your pitch, you would like to know what are their top three desired gains and top three pains mm -hmm. they want to avoid. Why is what they're doing right now difficult? What is the biggest perceived issue that they want to throw money at? So mm -hmm. if you know that, you can write better messaging. So we're, we're also adding market mm -hmm. customer research services built on our panels. Mm -hmm. And then we know, oh, if we do this, we're not testing copy anymore. So our name is, is uh, painting us into the corner of what we can be about, like monofunctional tool. Yeah. And so before we get too big and, and known, and it's harder to change the name, let's change the name now. And yeah. so we completely rebranded uh, into winter. We changed our positioning that this is about, uh, it's message testing for B2B companies. And we went all into this building our own B2B panel. Hmm. And so you can uh, test your messaging against the B2B panel, recruiting people by job title, industry, company size, et cetera. Yeah. And now, I mean, really, we are, we are a panel company and we are building mm -hmm. products on top of this panel. So the market research one is the next one coming out. And then also user testing style video, you know, walkthroughs of the websites, mm -hmm. but not random grandmas and teenagers that you can get through user testing companies, mm -hmm. but the people you're recruit to to. people that you're actually trying to sell to. Yeah. So all validated uh, and so on. So, of course, it's more expensive. Yeah. Because... Um, Typical panels that you know these user testing companies use. These are, you know, unemployed or stay at home or you know, 
part-time workers and they're available on the cheap. So, uh, or they're using Amazon Mechanical Turk where you pay, uh, you know, a dollar per response. So it's, mm-hmm. and any, any user testing company that says, hey, yeah, use us, $15 per user test, you know, it's from MTurk. Quality, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, that's fascinating. That, that's such an interesting journey from, you know, kind of like copywriting tool to panel, <laughs> you know, panel company uh, yeah. and in between. And it's just, again, taking that more like lead and responsible Build, approaches. measure, learn. Yeah, it's, that's amazing. And it's for that same reason, like the, the panel side, where we're sometimes skeptical of some academic research because it's often graduate students and oh, yes. students who get paid five bucks or whatever to be a part of this study. And then it's like, look how donors respond. And often it's not even their own money. Like we gave them $50 and said, how would you spend this? Exactly and we're supposed to right. apply that yeah. to a world where they've earned their own money and they're giving it. It's just, there's, there's not, it's not to say there's things that we can't learn. You can always learn. Sure. I mean, it might be idea. directionally accurate, you know, you just right. put a validation. What I've also so, learned in, like, in terms of product development is that, you know, it's the same thing that I already knew from doing CRO, but basically when you survey people about their potential future behavior, hey, <laughs> would you pay money for this new service should it exist? And people are like, of yeah. course we would. This is yeah. the most amazing thing they've ever heard. And then we take three months and I put my developers on it and we like strategize oh. it. We roll it out. <laughs> and then we tell them, here it is, the long awaited product. And they're like, uh, actually, something came up. I'm uh, not interested. <laughs> busy. Not interested. You know. Yeah. No budget. I was like, you motherfucker. If I may say so. <laughs> so well, you, you just did, so it's fine. And uh, so, so now all of our new direction testing happens through smoke tests and no code tests. So basically, I put up a sales page. I put <laughs> a buy button on it. And I say, hey, here we have this new service. It's in private beta right now. So the way it looks is kind of funky, but we absolutely can deliver it. And let's see if they pay money. And if they do pay money, do, do pay money, we basically do manual behind the scenes work. So in the future, the idea is that we automate it with software. But in, you know, in the beginning, we do things that don't scale. So we do it manually. Yeah. And then that's how we validated the B2B panels. Like, it was like, so if, if it looks like people want B2B panels, but are they really ready to pay for this? So we create a page, we put a type from survey on it, asking them like, oh, who is the panel that you want? And then Typeform has, can, uh, you know, you can put a credit card um, capture thing in there. And so we did. And so our first <laughs> two months of offering a B2B panel was through a Typeform. Hmm. And then it's like, oh yeah, people want to pay for this. And actually they are much happier with the results than through our consumer panel API because uh, much higher quality panelists. And so we went all in with this. And, and hmm. same way, our market research surveys right now is the same way. A company says, hey, I want to survey these SaaS CMOs. And uh, we, we basically email the CMOs, a type from survey, capture the hmm. data, and then present it back to the customer until we productize it. And the same we do with these user testing videos, uh, use Loom, Send Loom links. Hey, please uh, record a Loom video here and send us back. And then mm-hmm. we send it to the client. You know, so verify through manual work before you spend a huge amount of resources. That is a great point. I think, especially for nonprofits who are so resource strapped, it's like uh, new ideas. I think sometimes they're too quick to think about the scale or how do we manage this or sustain it. And mm-hmm. so they'll go to the the thing that is you know scalable and sustainable, but 
without any idea actually as if it's the right you know thing to do and now you've committed to tool strategy whatever it might be exactly um, yes when i i worked at a, a software company for a few years and we did something similar except the person doing the automation was andrew so we just called it andrewmation uh, he's like oh yeah just fill out this form and you get an automatic match and it was literally andrew like clicking buttons behind the scenes to like uh -huh. match people's donations but they don't know on the front end and we we're like oh sure. no this this matters so for unfortunately sure. for andrew you, he uh he yeah. didn't have a great experience you want to validate while, but... demand and you want to know what clients value so you can build the right thing Hmm. Um, because all in the beginning you have just assumptions. You have business assumptions that all need right. to be validated, and uh, um, it, an experiment doesn't have to be an A/B test. Because we, for an right. A/B test, you need a lot of volume, and you might not have that. But an experiment, and let's let's put it out there. And if you're clear about which behaviors you want to trigger, and especially it's like, will they pay for this? Is a key mm -hmm. thing, right? Um. Yeah, that's a great point here. too. Oh. Awesome. Thank you for kind of sharing more about that. I think it's a fascinating journey. And again, uh, as, as much as we may emphasize data and testing, the, the qualitative side, the research side, the desire to understand customers before you try to automate and scale, like those are such great principles for, for me to hear, but everyone listening to. Um, all right. So real quick, before we go, I, I want to do some rapid fire questions for you. Um, what's a favorite tool, website, or app you're using right now and you can't say winter? Loom. Actually, I'm Here using Loom every single day because I've been uh, recently posting a lot of video uh, content on social uh, uh -huh. for marketing and, you know, purposes. Educational content, you know, doing content marketing. So recording with Loom, uh, trimming the start and the end and with Loom. Yeah. So using that and I'm using veed.io, v-e-e-d.io to burn the subtitles into the videos you know because mm. uh, most people watch you know would sound off social media yeah so so those two i use every day great loom and veed.io uh what's a charity or nonprofit uh organization that you personally kind of support or admire yeah i am a regular monthly donor to aclu and mm -hmm. uh nrdc uh it's All when right. uh when they elected the former president, I was like, oh, what can I do to uh, combat some of the negative impacts of this? And so I've been now a supporter, you know, fifth year running. There you go. You're part of the, uh, the Trump bump uh, is, is what, what we saw, <laughs> a huge bump in people who, who are giving kind of as opposed to... Mm -hmm. There's also this really cool campaign that was called Defeat by Tweet, and they got people to pledge micro donations. So every time President Trump tweeted, it would automatically trigger a donation to certain causes, ACLU and, and things like that. Uh, that, were kind of that. Great, yeah. against. It was a really interesting kind of product way to get people to pledge and raise thousands, million, they raised over a million dollars from micro donations. Mm. It helps that, you know, Trump tweets a lot. So sure, <laughs> I, don't yes. think, I don't think people realize how much, but anyways, uh, cool. Um, you can go back in time and get credit for inventing something or starting a company. What did you invent or what company did you start? Uh, Amazon, obviously. <laughs> don't become the richest guy in the world <laughs> without that. For nothing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a pretty, pretty good answer. And then uh, biggest thing marketers need to keep in mind for 2021 and beyond. Mm. It's never been noisier out there. Hmm. It's uh, the barriers of entry to starting something new have gone hmm. down. There's more cheap money available than ever before. Technology is cheaper and more accessible. 
things that were hard or impossible to do is is now easy and anybody can do. So that means that for in every category, whatever you're doing, there's 50 and more or more companies, organizations uh, doing the very same thing. And it's hard to be different through innovation. Very few are actually truly different, doing radically different things. So what is left? What is left is competing on uh, story, on your brand, mm -hmm. on your messaging. So getting better at storytelling and getting better at messaging is how you can win, how you can mm -hmm. be um, a challenger brand going after the, uh, you know, against the beat guys and, and win some market share, whether you're a nonprofit or, or not. And then and, and being data-driven about it, and which, of course, where winter also comes into play. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking this time. Uh, I know I, I found it really useful for me personally and professionally, so hopefully the listeners do as well. So thank you for that. Where can, uh, where can people find out more about you and uh, all the amazing things you're doing? Well, social media, so Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm very active, post daily, so follow me there for uh, all my daily insights into the world. We'll send those out along with the, the episode. So thank you so much and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Brady. Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at generosityfreakshow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S, or wherever you get your pods. Now, the Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital-first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kuchuriak. So thank you so much again for listening. And no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day. <laughs>